This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. The first beer goes down easy. It's bubbly, it's sweet, tickles the back of your throat. The second beer, you're starting to enjoy it. You kick back, get a bit more relaxed. But it's the third beer, Brent. That is. It's the third beer that where you hit that vibe, a certain mellowness comes over. It's a golden light nectar, I would describe. The pub turns into a very happy place, and you've hit that spot that's just right. And our third beer is a special guest each week that we get to interview and have a chat to not only about the beer, but also about life and other stuff that men don't talk about. I'm Brett McCallum. I'm Chris Dixon, and we'd like to talk about the third beer. G'day buddy, how are you? There we go. How you going big fella? Well, I'm having a great week. Is that mediate hat's looking pretty good on it's you right there. Sexy, yeah, yeah, it's nice. Now, I just come from a podcast masterclass. Holy dooly. I taught a whole pile of people how to podcast. Who would have guessed that a year ago? You're a pod master. The master. <laughs> I'm correct? like a guru. The wow. G- the guru slide down at the feet of the pod duck. No, no, it's a heap of fun. We're just teaching them how to uh, how to do stuff and how things worked and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was good. Good Trying to get other people out there to start producing content. And I was talking about you. Right. How good our third beer podcast is, and they loved it. They loved the mix up last time when we had the kombucha. Kombucha. The third kombucha. Mate, this is gonna it's gonna hit high targets. But I I see that you've got a great northern in front of you today. Yeah, we've gone back. We made a comeback. Yeah, we come. We're going simple. What was the comment earlier? At you know, you back on the beers? No, I'm having a beer. Is that what I'm, I'm not off the beers, but I'm, I'm not on the beers. So no, that's yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, you yeah, just yeah, got to keep thing. it sweet. It's the old Buddhist thing. You not you don't have desire, but you're not adverse to it either. I'll tell you what, though. You're looking a lot better. You looked a bit gaunt last week. Gaunt, you think? Yeah, I think it was maybe. A, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more oh, of well, like maybe you weren't eating the right yeah, foods or you weren't drinking beer. That could have nice, been it. Nice to know, mate. Nice to know. <laughs> I've, just done a, I've just done a week Estanga training, so up at 5.30 for an hour and a half every day. So what's Estanga? I'm exhausted. Uh, it's a particular yoga sequence that you follow. Wait, is that yeah. like hard or slow, like the relaxed yeah, it's one? Yeah, it's more of an intense one. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Rock and roll. It's Mate, well, we've got a cool guest this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking um, forward to I've this. never met him, but yeah. Marius van der Nist, he, read a book, he wrote a book called It's All About You. And Marty, who uh, we share the offices with here, has made the introduction. And I'm looking forward to this, mate, having a bit of a chat. I had a flick through the book. Seems very interesting. So awesome. it's going to be an interesting chat today, I think. Well, I'm looking forward to it. G'day, Marius. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. No worries. Well, mate, well, as customary, we, uh, we've got to open the beers. Um, do you want to start there, big fella? So this week, the Great Northern Brewery was established in Cairns in 1927 to brew beer specifically for the local conditions in Queensland. I can tell you what, it's fucking not down here today. <laughs> so we're going with the Great Northern Original Brewing Co., the red one, which is the 4.2. I think this is in tribute to those uh, punters up in Townsville that are having That's a hard, hard, hard in time. Mate. Always liked a bit of a flood, but it's a big one up there. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. nasty, wasn't it? That was the worst beer you've opened. Oh, I didn't even open it, mate. Oh, there we go. I'm out, yeah, I'm out of practice. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me have a good borrow crack. that as well. Yep. Some of the guys that are coaching rugby, they take the two beers and they pop them together with four. I've got another mate that does it with his wedding ring. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I don't think I'd like that. Maybe it was a good use of his wedding ring. I had a mate that did it with his forearm once. Really? Yeah, once. Only once. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, brother. Cheers, Cheers ding, ding. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. So, Marius, we both 
have had a quick squeeze through your book. I haven't read it. I've got to tell you the truth. I got told to read it, and I don't do reading. So I had a quick look. Yeah. What's it about? What What are we talking about? Oh, it's just uh, I've had a very, very intriguing life story, and from a young boy and to where I'm sitting right now. Well, we're looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, it's been it's been an incredible journey for what I've endured, and you know the reason why I wrote the book is now to inspire, especially men. We go through um, really tough times in life, and men don't really speak up about it. So, um, that's what the third B is all about, my friend. That's right, and um, you know because I've really done it all. I was a professional rugby union player and published magazines and all that kind of stuff. And one thing that I really speak about is called ego. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we all get onto the same level, um, you know, we can really talk truth with one another. So um, the book is all about my journey and where I've come from. You know, all the gold gold mining plains of South Africa. So let's start there. What um, you're obviously you've got the South African accent. It's very thick. Yeah, it is. How long have you been here? I've been here nine years, but um, you know, I grew up speaking Afrikaans, which is basically Dutch. It's like a second language. Uh, yeah, English. and English is my second language. So um, you know, I grew up going to an Afrikaans school and speak Afrikaans, and, and English was a subject at school that we we used to do. But from a very young age, my stepmother said to me, well, you have, we have to speak English at home. You have to start typing. Computers are going to take over the world. And I'm like, what the hell ever? I'm not going to be a football player. I played rugby union. I don't want to speak English. And um, here I'm in an Australian country. But I've always done business in English in South Africa. You know, it's a, it's a global language now. So um, I find it's one of those like, one of those accents that they never lose. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever heard... Especially well, from an African uh, background. Yeah. I think the depth and the uh, husk of the voice, he might be in the sexiest voice category. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think it could be in the uh, we, we, might, we might have to get some uh, podcast. A bit more Barry White <laughs> in the background votes, again. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, um, I had pneumonia a couple of weeks ago. I actually picked it up in Japan skiing with my boys. And um, for about two or three weeks, whenever I spoke on the phone to people, they're like, you've got a voice for radio. And I'm like, oh, the accent doesn't really help it at long. Oh, you're quite pretty, so you probably Thank haven't you. got a head for radio. Yeah, I reckon you go all on TV. I hide it well, all the stitch marks from rugby <laughs> union and all those kind of things. So I try not to hide how pretty I am. Look, we're, we're actually – it's quite it's quite <laughs> funny because in the back side of the studio here, um, Marius has brought in like a video camera. This is the first one of these that we've videoed, bud. Yeah, yeah. But it's mainly the back of your head. Well, I thought there'd be a lot of shine bouncing around. <laughs> so it's the extra know, light. I'm just, global, I'm, just, I'm just I'm just, I'm just going to not think about it. Oh, no, uh, that's very cool. That's, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you played rugby for how, – how, how, what level? Yeah, I played um, at the highest level possible. I didn't play for South Africa. I had quite a couple of injuries. So I had four reconstructions on my left shoulder. Broke my neck. I think after the third one, you'd probably call it quits, I had you? my first one when I was in year 12 at school. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, that took me probably about a year to get back onto the field. Um, second one, second reconstruction, 98. Third one, 90, 2003, round about there. And then six that months ago. goes to the heart we're going to talk about today, I suppose. There's a lot of resilience there, a lot of recovery. I yeah. mean, I and like then, those footballers that have those clear runs and can perform, but those guys that can come back from a from an injury, they're a different Four league. times. Fuck. And what yeah, did you say? You broke your neck. Yeah, you haven't got I, a neck. Yeah, I broke my neck 98 on the field. I flatlined. I died on the football field. Really? Yeah, that was that – was, uh, I still get emotional when I speak about it. Um, we like to get emotional. Oh man, man, it was it was a sh- it you was remember shocking. It? Yeah, yeah, it was. I what remember, happened when you flatlined? Yeah, I remember a lot of small episodes pre and post. I write of, I wrote of it extensively in my book. What happened and how I hit the guy and all those kind of things and hospital post that and was it your fault or his fault? Um, it was. I was the captain. I walked up to the referee, gave a penalty against us. 
walked up to the ca- to the to the referee and asked him some questions just to calm the team down and trying to buy some time and put pressure on the referee and I jogged back and you, the golden rule in rugby is you never turn your, your back, back in yeah. your position and my I looked at my players and they're like he's coming and I wrote in this book about this freaking beast that we played against this day mm. and it I was it was I was a I was a monster in my day and I was known as the bad boy of South African rugby because I just I was so mad at life yeah. because of my abuse and all the things I've been through. And I used to fix up guys at a serious level. <laughs> and I turned back and this guy was, and I just dove at him. And I closed my eyes and that's what I teach rugby players now. You always keep your chin up. You know, look where you're going. I closed my eyes and I dove at this guy and he hit me with his elbow right on my chin. And my neck popped back. I was out cold. And the video footage later was I hit the guy, broke the neck, but the body, so the, all the oxygen leaves, the, the brain hits the inside of the skull, mm. which causes a huge amount of compression. So I'm lying on the field, but the brain says, hold on a second, the body needs to stand up. So the video footage, I, I hit the guy so hard, my mouth got a, a 24 stitches in the inside of my lip because mm. the mouth got just ripped out. And um, so I'm st- try to crawl because my eyes are looking at this mouth guard. This needs to get back into the mouth. So I picked up the mouth guard and I tried to stand up and I just fell forward and fell on my head again. And I'm trying to stand up again and I fell sideways. And that's when I started flatlining. So I started swallowing the tongue and I, I lost it. So who helped you? The, the, the ref? One, the first guy that came to my rescue was guy, Gareth Peterson. He played a lock for the Lions as well. Came and immediately pulled my tongue out. And um, our paramedics, in, in South African rugby, there's always paramedics on the yeah. fields and all that kind of stuff, which is quite strange what we're doing on the Gold Coast. And there's not even an ambulance there. Yeah. So um, guys came, you know, people just rushed. I saw the video footage a day later. The guy that I played against, his mom worked night shift in the ICU ward that I went into. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, I saw video footage of it a couple of days later and I was fucking shocked. So you're flatlined on the field. Do you remember yeah. in your head, like I know my old man when he was alive, he, mm. he died a few times on the operating table. Yeah. And I always said to him, like, did you see the light? There was nothing. And that's I what he said up, too. He goes, yeah. well, I have no idea. I woke up next to the field and they compress your head and they put these orange pillows onto you and on the stretcher and all that kind of stuff. So they brought in a helicopter. And the next moment I, I, I looked and I saw my coach for the Lions, Hiku Fanas, he was standing in front of me and I grabbed this guy and I don't know what I said to him. Mm. Next minute I woke up in hospital with just lights flashing above my head and I'm like, where am I? What's going on here? Did you think you were dead? So that was the lights of them pushing me on the, on the yeah, stretch yeah, to get into yeah. ICU. And then probably about three or four hours later I woke up and I was like, Back's killing me. Guys, please, I called people over. Then they thought I broke my back. So they only looked after the neck in this in this instant. But then they thought, I, but I'm lying in a wooden stretcher. I couldn't move. So, you know, lying yeah. like that, my back got sore. They pushed me into x-ray again and all those kind of things. And, yeah, that was that was a scary, scary moment. It's intense, very isn't bad. it, eh? Mm. Yeah, yeah, very real. Yeah, oh, my gosh. I write, I write of it extensively in my book small emotions that I went through and, and all that kind of stuff, which was, you know, all the head knocks in rugby was a massive contributor to my depression and anxiety you know, for many years. And I played. You got bitten highest. by the dog. Woo-hoo. Big time. Big one? Big, big one, yeah. Did oh, you have any uh, deja vu? I mean, I've been knocked out a few times on the yeah. footy field, uh, four or five times, and every time I had it, I had a flashback during it, like, oh, I kind of almost remember being that happening yeah. before. 
You know, I'm very, I'm very conscious of my life and who I am right now and when I public speak and do a lot of talks and do men's groups and all that kind of stuff. So I've made a conscious effort to go back to all these episodes and go and clean them up. They will never go away. These scars on my shoulder and scar on my neck, that's never going to go away. They're going to be there forever. But I'm very conscious and aware of those things and what I do post that. So, um, you know, I... I, I now my mom's death and molestation and all those kind of things, I'm very aware of it. I still think about it a lot and think about things and think about this particular uh, incident in my rugby career. It's, it's so it seems like this was a very important moment. Oh, there was a few. It, it seems like there was also a lot of trauma that led to that oh, point. Huge. Do you want to want to talk yeah. about that? What, what, what uh, are we doing? I'll go from the start. I was four years old. <clears throat> excuse me, and um, I was never aware that my mom had epilepsy. So I was a four-year-old boy. Every morning, dad's off to work and all those kind of things. And uh, this particular morning, I sat on the, on the, uh, next to the wall while my mom's having a bath. And she had a fit in the bath, and she, had, she drowned. I was four at the time. My sister was six. So I'm sitting there and like, oh, what's going on here? Next minute, dad walks in. So every single morning when dad went to work, he'd get there, consistent behavior all the time, would phone home. Obviously, no mobile phones in 1980, but would phone home. There was no answer, and he knew something was wrong. So he walked, the door was open. Two pieces of toast were popped out of the toaster. Steam was coming out of the kettle. And my sister and myself standing like, and he's pulling my mom out of the bath. She had long, dark hair. Drag her body over to, to the bedroom and trying to get all the water out and resuscitate. Get out, get out, get out. So that was you know, probably the first traumatizing event in my life and then you know dealing with that the funeral all those kind of things and two weeks later you know my dad has to get back to work and start passing us around please have a look after Marius and Heidi passing us to family members and I was molested by an aunt at the age of four so uh, that was you know very very traumatizing for me and I carried that pain with me for many many years and how I write in my book the process of my relationships with females later on because I first saw my mom's death as she left me. She dropped me. So I carried that pain. And then I was molested by a female two weeks after my mom's death. So I carried that pain. So later in life, I used sex as a weapon. You know, I was an international rugby player. And, you know, we all go out partying and clubbing like, party like absolute animals. And I didn't care about people. I didn't care about, especially females. I didn't consciously go out and have sex with women to hurt them. I just had no feeling, no feeling whatsoever. I enjoyed the moment. You know, who doesn't like sex? But I just had no feeling. And that's why I write how my marriage fell apart because I brought in so much pain into my actual marriage. So you saw women as objects? Not really as an object. It's just I realized through my psychological help years later on that I just had no feeling. I can honestly, I'm from South Africa and seen really traumatizing stuff, violence and things like that. And when I do public speaking, a lot of people don't understand. I can have a dead person lie next to me and have a meal, do my daily thing, and then I'll look after him because that's, that's the amount of trauma I've experienced in my life. So I had to be very conscious as a person to eliminate those feelings. You know, um, I sat back and I had to ground my, my feelings and my emotions there's a saying that I say I had to ground my feelings and my emotions to a fucking fine powder so that I could understand who I, wh who I am as a human being. 
So when I met my ex-wife at the time, we were best friends still. We'd been divorced for four and a half years. She lives 500 meters from me, and we're best mates. We've never been to court and fought. There's, I see my children every single day, and you know we're just great friends. But she was a psychologist, and when she met me, she's like, this is a beautiful guy, but he's fucked up. And through love, because I didn't understand love, my dad abused me. My dad jumped on my head when I was 17 years old, beat me to a pulp when I was school captain of my school, played for the highest teams in South Africa as a schoolboy, but I was fucked up at home. So all these messages to my brain was like, you're amazing, but you fucked up. So I had to start figuring out where is life and what is life about, but I had to do that on my own. And that's what I teach people right now is everything that you've got that you need for your futures inside of this chest cavity. You just need to make the choice to start finding yourself. But the process is you have to surround yourself with good people. Do you think you've found yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know who you are? I'm very conscious and very aware of myself. The first thing I did is I found my true passion. I found the reason why I've been placed on earth. That's why I write in my book. What is that? My passion is to impact people. So I believe I've been put on this path. I'm a Christian guy. A lot of people are like, why does God do this? Why does God let the floods happen in Toowoomba? It's not God that does those things. That is just human nature. How many, how many minutes are we in? Good. Yeah, about 20. <laughs> 20? Yeah, 20 it's, it's before the big G word. G word pops up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, I just, God doesn't let bad things happen. happen. That is, so I believe that. Is God real? Oh, 100%. What's God? Sorry? What's God or who is God? God is, um, you know, for me personally, a lot of people talk about faith and religion and all these kind of things. I've got a, re- I've got a relationship with God. You know, I, I, again, you know, I, would, I would really ask you guys to read the book so you can really understand for me what, what religion means. It's okay. a relationship that I've got with God. But who's God? What is it? God for me is an almighty creation. I mean, this earth will not be here for him, you know. For but is if, he a person? Uh it's not a person, no. Jesus Christ walked the earth, mm-hmm. and he was the messenger on behalf of God. He was a good chippy, too, I heard. Yeah, he was. He's, well, he learned from his father, Joseph. Yeah, so. there you go. He was a builder, but too, wasn't he? All around this then Jesus ran. Then Jesus ran <laughs> the planes one day. He was upset with people, and he threw all the furniture around. Yeah. Got really upset, but, you know, he was human as well. Um, so, um, yeah, for, for me, that is, I've got a pure relationship with, with Jesus. So, and I find this really interesting. And I don't know if you've, you've, you've probably heard some of our podcasts mm. and we have this conversation a lot in regards to the G word. Yeah. Like I believe in karma. I believe in lots of sure. stuff, but I don't believe in God. Mm. And he's going to say, well, don't you? Mm. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those things. And we've yeah. had this conversation backwards and forwards for years now is, mm. is the fact of you talk about God as in it's a bloke or a dude mm. or, or mm. a person or whatever, mm. but then you say it's not a person. Mm. So the irony of that is when you think about it, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite real. True. What religion is or what Jesus or God is, it's, you have to take a step back yeah. and have true faith in making a decision. It's putting yourself out there. Because I haven't seen Jesus, I haven't, I haven't seen God, but I've experienced him in a very, very big way. In a very big way. And I write, a very, I, I was diagnosed dyslexic at a young age because I had so much freaking trauma happened to my brain, so I couldn't read and write. Mm. 
So when I started with my psychological help through Natasha, my ex-wife, she's like, hold on a second. We just need to get you help. But it's no use. You run up to a person and say, you mad. You need a psychologist to fix you. Oh, fuck that. Then that fucking person <laughs> runs for the hills. Yeah, yeah. But I got put in the right scenarios and right situations right around the right people to set me up on a path to get to a psychologist. I walked into psychologist offices as a schoolboy. The lady would sit down, Marius, tell me what's wrong. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking steamroll you, babe. And I would walk out the door. And my mom's like, what's wrong? I said, I will steamroll this woman. Don't sit with me and tell me what's wrong. I need something live, alive in my heart. And then I so found you knew that at a young age. So were you were you spiritual or Christian or, yeah. or faith at a young age? Mm. So when all this shit was happening to yeah. you, mm. were, were you a yeah, – is it what's it called? What's the word I'm after? A Christian. Hey? Are you saying how he felt? Or <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. It's like – Did he feel abandoned? Yeah, well, like like you, you say that, that mm. God is, is – is, mm. you've got to have true faith, but sure. at the same time – did you feel like you were abandoned by this greater power at that yeah. period? That's the word I was like. So Thanks, much, man. you know, so much, so many times through my life, I'm like, why are you doing this to me, God? I swore at him. Like, fucking hell, what the? I had a huge motorbike accident when I was seven, 16 years old. So my father abused me extensively. My, my father fucked, physical abuse. fucked me up mm. big time, not just couple of beatings here and there. My dad my dad went for me. Um, what do you think that was? Do you think he was intimidated? Or? You know what happens? I speak in my book about generational curses. My father was eight years old. His mom passed away. At the age of 12, he was molested as well. Um, I was four. My mom died. I was molested by a female. My dad was abandoned by his family. When his mom passed away, no one wanted him. But I think I came along. And here's this guy, people, you go, oh, he's good looking, he's got, got his own businesses, all that. So people put me on a bit of a pedestal. I think I got put on a pedestal at a very, very young age because I, sh I was an exceptional football player. And I think my dad took his frustrations out of me. My dad was a plumber. Because you were better than him? Sorry? Because he see you as better you know, than one him? One thing my dad said at a very young age, he said, Marius, if you just achieve more than I do in life, I'm proud of you. But he fucked me up extensively. My dad jumped on my head. I, people, I get messages two, three in the morning. And people read my book and like, holy shit! So eventually, at the age of twenty-five, I walked away from my dad, and I haven't seen him since. Because I believe everything that's negative in your life, you have to remove. Yeah, I agree with that. And unfortunately, my dad and my stepmom was in the firing line. I was going to ask you that. <coughs> is that obviously your mum passed away when you were four? Mm. So your dad remarried? Dad remarried when I was six. And what was she like? Amazing. Yeah? Amazing. So was she that opposite to what your dad was? She, she, very much so, yeah. She taught me everything about females, about life, manners, how to dress, how do you eat knives and forks, all these kind of things. But at the age of 14, 15, she had an affair. And I cut her. And that's when my war started with her. She started hating me like despising me. My sister found out. Is that because you hated her? Oh, yeah. You know, I've been traumatized by females. Yeah, she's doing it again. Mm. A pattern, isn't there? I, and I cut it like that. So my ex-wife, her, uh, her mom was married, got divorced, went to Natasha's dad. They're still married today, 45 years on. 
So I got aware of this pattern of marriages breaking down, children in those marriages being messed up. She was married to your dad. Who was that? Your stepmom. Yeah. And uh, your dad was kind of an abusive kind of guy. Never drank, never touched her. Never touched her. I was the one he took it out on. You think he, she, he was an easy bloke to live with? or? He was very depressed. And when I met Natasha, she's obviously got a psychology degree and stuff like that, she said to me, your father's never gotten over your mom's death. Mm. For him to pull out of that bath, he was 25, 26 years old, mm. for him to pull out of the bath, resuscitate my dad. So when to le- relive his mother's own death as correct. well. There's all the trauma of face. So and I'm my, just trying to think about that context with mm. you know, your stepmother having an affair. Yeah. I mean, it, we can paint that in a particular way or we correct. could see that it was a very difficult yeah. relationship and she might have been Extremely looking... Extremely depressed. So she looked for... Some intimacy or, or connection. And intimacy elsewhere. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, Can you? Do you think you could get to a place where you could find forgiveness there? Or? Oh, truly. With her? With my stepmom? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've forgiven them 100% and I've set them free. So it's not something that when I, I tell people, when I put my head on the pillow at night, I sleep really well. Because I, you know, I, had to make, I had to make peace with my molester. Mm. I had to forgive her because that forgiveness is the only space where you move on in life. If you harbor these condemnations and aggression and hurt towards other people, you're going to project that into your own life towards people that's coming into your life. So you, you speak of your molester. Was that your dad's sister? It was a family member, an uh, aunt. Yeah, but the aunt. So yeah. was that mum's side or dad's side? That was dad's side. So she'd gone through obviously the trauma, same traumas that your dad had gone Correct. through as well. And you won't believe what wow. happened. So within patterns, but yeah. yeah, I write in my book about forgiveness and how this, this this pattern happens and all those kind of things. Natasha was pregnant with Joshua. He's now eleven years old. And yeah, I started this brand new jersey journey in life and all those kind of things. And and I believe this is what God's done to me. I said, Morris, you ready? Go on your journey. You know, international magazine business and all those kind of things. And in South Africa, we walk into Woolies in South Africa. You buy really great food and good clothes and all those yep. kind of stuff in Woolies. And I walk around the one aisle. My Melissa stood in front of me. Wow. How old were you? 20. I was 30 years old. And how long since you'd seen 20, her? 25 years. And you but knew that, who it was? That face you don't forget. And I walked and I looked at her and I was like, what do I do now? Aggressive Marius, I will take you out right now. Mm. Turned around, I walked to Tash. She was in a different aisle. I said, you won't believe what's happened. She said, what's, she's like, what's going on with that? I said, my molester's in the next aisle. Tash says, you know what to do. Turned around, I walked up to her. I said, excuse me, do you know who I am? She said, sorry, I've got no idea. She looked at me. I was quite well known. I said, I'm Harry's son, Marius. And I said to her, I forgive you and I've set you free. And this woman just burst into tears. Didn't know what to say. And I turned around and walked away. No anger, no, no feeling towards her. I a bit her. tingly there. Yeah. Mm. And I've set her free. That's because the power of Jesus there, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. That's the Holy Spirit that just flushed you. I thought it was the fucking the, air conditioning. <laughs> I mean, you can say what you want, but that's, that's essentially Jesus' teaching right there, love and forgiveness. Right. And if you can look your enemy in the eye and yeah. say, hey, this is okay, yeah. and, uh, and move forward, mm. that's, that's what I mean, it's I about. Think, and don't get me wrong, I think it's a sensational thing that you can actually do. Yeah. 
And I think that's that's amazing. And I was so it makes you go all tingly yeah. and yeah. and good on you. And I believe have you ever had a moment where you've uh, tried to have to forgive someone, Brett? <laughs> I certainly have. Yeah. <laughs> how, how have you had, how have you dealt with it? I, I well, I got help obviously, which was which was with yourself. And uh, I, I was really angry at my father, mm. um, and I then forgave him, and then we became he, he passed away. Mm. But in back in my body and soul, we became best mates again, mm. and it was that same sort of feeling. And so, like, as you say, forgive and set free. Mm. Interesting, yeah, isn't it? But the thing it's is, a tough one. It's a tough the one. thing that's powerful. If I can be able to confront that, that'd be right. fucking yeah. wicked. Yeah, the thing that's powerful about forgiveness is if two people are ready. You with your dad, you guys fixed your relationship because he was ready. He was dead. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so he was definitely ready. Yeah. I suppose he couldn't, yeah. couldn't come back. Yeah. He was over. <laughs> he was over. <laughs> but the, the the nice thing now is if the situation with my father now, my boys are like, Dad, wouldn't you, why didn't you go back to your daddy? Why didn't he's not ready? I've sent him. You tell your boys. Are you how oh, yeah. are you like? And my boys are around when I do a lot of public talks. Yeah, and, and I'm and the beautiful thing about your story is you've stopped the transgenerational yes. trauma. Yes. You've taken ownership of it. Yeah. You've forgiven it. You've moved on. You must but, be proud but, of that. But too. you haven't perpetuated, so and it could have quite yeah. easily, I suppose. Yeah. You're an aggressive guy. I mean, right. you could have you quickly know, slipped into that space, yeah, and becoming Natasha, that. Natasha, myself, my ex-wife is. You know, we. She's obviously walked my journey with me for a long time. She knows me better than anybody else. The thing now about my divorce and after Natasha, we found a space where we actually better for one another, separate. Can I ask why you split up? I brought a lot of pain into my marriage. I'm sure you a, did. A, a huge amount of trauma. trauma. Yeah. yeah. And eventually she cracked. Okay. Eventually she cracked. And I write one line. She also made a mistake. You know, she also went to go look for affection elsewhere. Ah, there you go. You know, so. And that for me cut deep. What we've done was went for marriage counseling, had to forgive what's happened in there. I had to stand up and I write extensively in my book about my journey as a man and the mistakes and the trauma that I brought in because 90% of our pain happens as kids in our childhood. And a lot of people do not know. Yeah, yeah, 90%. I'd question that. Yeah. Seriously, I I would question that. I think we get... Deep-seated patterns that are triggered over and over and over again. So, right. yeah, you probably could say the roots of trauma are so in childhood. So it starts yeah. there and then just gets worse. Oh, you think about your neuro network when mm. you set up, you know, you get uh, bitten by a snake mm. at a particular point, it kind of triggers you and mm. you all your back. events will be kind of be recorded around that and you'll be scared in certain situations Well, and drawn to certain situations. Mm. So your trauma is actually... Now, a lot of people that have sexual abuse or, um, you know, um, in domestic violence actually get drawn back into similar patterns yeah. because although you're repulsed by it, mm. it's kind of what you know. Mm. So you set up this kind of it's reoccurring it's behavior. Yeah. It, well, yeah, oh, it's imprinted. Whether, whether that's good, bad or ugly, it's still a learned behavior, isn't well, it? Well, it's a conditioned behavior in mm. certain situations. Because yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a conversation the other day on a podcast, actually. Um, I'm writing a book at the moment called Kids Aren't Born Assholes. They're mm. actually taught to become assholes. 100%. And it, it's all about... Um, nature versus nurture and, the, and the, the situations you get put in. And one of the guys said to me, he turned around and goes, your brain, and you'll know this better than I do, your brain from the age of zero to seven, you're in some fetal state or something and that's where you pretty much learn all this mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And we'd just been talking about this nine-year-old kid who hung himself in the last few days. And he said, do you know why? And I said, why is that, mate? And he goes, we're talking about video games. Mm-hmm. And he goes, because at the moment all these kids are playing video games, right. yeah, 
And then when something goes bad or wrong, they get killed and then come back to life. Mm. And he goes, have a think wow. about this. Wow. He goes, did that kid think, oh, just fuck, I'm just going to be like that game. Restart. Hang out and restart. Wow. And I've just gone, fuck, I've never thought of that. Wow. And then you look at those things. Like, they're only young kids. They're mm. all learnt behaviours. Like, mm. we talk about, like, sexual abuse or, or abuse and stuff. And is that something you learn as a kid? And then you go, oh, fuck, that was all right for them to do. So mm. I do it. Is that, is that what you mean mm. by the patterns? I know I said three different things at once there, but... Mm. Yeah, well, everyone experiences their own formation. And we talk about neuro networks and pruning and plasticity. How long does that last? Is that forever? Yeah, well, we used to think it was from zero to seven and you were set in a particular way. But the fact is the brain can continue to, to evolve and change. So but it, it takes seven it? takes work. Oh, yeah. Well, it takes forgiveness. It takes it critical moments where you face up to the past and you make new choices and you've got to continually make those new choices. Mm. The old pattern still threads in there, yeah. I think. Uh, you find now you every now and then will still snap? I don't snap anymore. I've changed my behavior so much. When I played football, it was a very egotistic, maniac sport. So you take a depressed human being that's been fucked up his whole life, put him on a rugby field, put alcohol in his mouth, he becomes a, he becomes a monster. Mm. I was and a tell big, him, go and beat the fuck out of that bloke. Dude, I would <laughs> coach physios around the field, put the earphones in my ear. Morris, coach, take number seven out. Cool. Bam. We're walking to nightclubs, and I became—I was—I found out years later I was so scared. We'd walk into nightclubs, and a bounce would just—that's lions, testosterone. Walking in a nightclub, and with fifteen guys, I was the known as the bad boy. Bouncer would look me up and down. I walk straight up to him, said, "Dude, I will freaking kill you right here." Years later, I found out I was so scared actually to be be hurt again. So I'd go and attack. Now. My life has changed and evolved so much. Look, but make no mistake, I, st- I still think, <laughs> let's do it. Once a quarter, I'll flip. Okay, and when you yeah. say flip, though, is it as not as much of a flip as it was last quarter? Do no, you find your flips get less? You know, no, I, I, won't, I think I'm human. I lose my temper as well. It's well. like an alcoholic who doesn't drink and then all of a sudden will go back on the thing. So is that's that right? the old thread. Correct. And what we said is he's changed okay. his behaviour. Mm. He yeah, can yeah. manage it, but mm. those old tendencies still occur. Mm. They occur less, and he's got neuro, other neuro patterns now of love and compassion and forgiveness, mm. but they're sometimes overridden by that old pattern that has a deep root in childhood. It's like yeah. turning your uh, steering wheel well, into a chip and stop thing. At the same time, as he said, sometimes I'll still lose my shit, mm. and don't get me wrong, I mm. could go off like a caged animal at any moment. Mm. Yeah. He had a little smirk on his face. Yeah. <laughs> a certain part of his ego is still attached to, I'm, a, I'm a monster. Oh, yeah. I can be a monster. I, I choose can. I choose not to be. But I but can. Give me the I've right context and I will tear yeah. your head off your yeah. shoulders and shit down your throat. That's that's no, that thing. thing. I, it's a thing. You've still got it. Yeah, yeah, I've still it. got it. Yeah, yeah. What is it? It's a yeah. thing that hangs around. It's yeah. a part of who we are. But does it ever go away? It can. Mm. But yeah. you've got to get past just changing your behavior. You've got to get past the idea that it's okay to do that. Mm. How can it go away? If it's an, if it's right. a, what do you call it for a new neurological uh, thing? Situations, Brett, that you give your permission, you give yourself permission to be violent. Mm. Okay, is it? Yeah, yeah, fucking know. Okay, mm. certain situations, big fella over here does mm. as well. Yeah. That's an, that's permission to act in yeah. that particular way. So that just keeps that neuro network alive. And are they learnt behaviours? Like what's, what's your experience? Well, I, I think they are, and, I, I, and that's the reason I asked the question because I actually think they are. Like you, have uh, you, to teach you were your saying, but originally it's a learned it's behavior. Hard-wired? Oh yeah, come on, you come from Africa. Yeah, you can teach your brain. Elephants and lions just yeah. 
grow up knowing what they need to do. Well, 100%. But it's if you become aware, cool. if you become aware of situations, make yourself aware. Hey, 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 it's coming. Turn the other way. Might even go and even so that's changing the behavior, correct? That if we get down to the impulse Mm. where it's like, Oh, I feel feel that. Oh, you looked at me the funny way, and now I want to. You said that with a South African accent. (laughs) Did you notice that? No, I went into Arnie. I leave your head off. Sorry, (laughs) sorry, it was Arnie, not South African. You know, one thing I get get crazy for somebody hoots at me. Hoot. What's hoot? Oh, honks the horn. Honks the horn. Oh, okay. I don't, like today, I went to go get some milk. I've got a nice coffee machine at home, so I make my own coffee and stuff. At the at the traffic light, green arrow, doot. I looked into my mirror and I'm like, <laughs> Marius, it's, it's okay. It's all good. Zen, you know. So what, what hooted you in the past? Can, can you go back now I and go, I don't know. What the fuck was the original hoot that made me go, <laughs> I'm just thinking, just I'm just thinking to myself. Well, a boiling jug in the background while your mother's drowning in a bath might be a yeah. beginning. I'm just wondering whether it's a sound. Do you know what it is? Or whether you it's actually my, the fact that they're frustrated. Mm. You know what my thinking is? Why don't you just relax? It's a beautiful day outside. Why do you need to honk? But then your next thought is, I will fucking I will teach fucking you to rock your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> actually, what happened was... Um, <laughs> I jumped out of the car. Uh, I slammed yeah, the door. Yeah. I beat the fuck out I of the car. I picked up the car. I threw it in the fucking <laughs> canal, and you will fucking relax now. And everybody yeah. else, just relax. Yeah. Nothing to see you. I got married uh, 2005. 2005, I became a reborn Christian. Stopped it. I was playing football. Oh, come on. I have to. I can't yeah. let that go. What's a reborn Christian? Is if you. A lot Are of people you, walk earth. As Christians, read the Bible, go to church. They've got no experience of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So I, I write in my book, attached myself married for six months. Got her a crash course, split up. She moved out of home. I went to my sister on the farm, sat down with my brother-in-law. I was busy training for my first ever Ironman. Just retired from football. I had no identity because as soon as you leave rugby, it's like a door that closes. Mate's gone. All these 15 guys you used to party and drink and socialize with, they are gone because they're still playing. And um, I went to the farm, sat down with my brother-in-law and my sister, and they said, Maurice, look, this is the process. This is the process. This is how you give your life to the Lord. And I went back home on the Sunday. Tash was gone. She just moved out. And I closed all the curtains, and I said, Lord, I do not stand up from here unless I have a surreal experience and meeting with you. And I promise you, I started praying and stuff, and I've had, I saw angels, I spoke in tongues, I spoke different stuff, and I was like, what the hell? Were you drinking at the is, time? I stopped drinking when I stopped footy. I got engaged. And this is called Pentecost. What's it called? Pentecost kind Pentecost. of room. Mm. They talk in tongues, have yeah, visions, uh, angels, yeah. very big. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of angelistic yeah. Christianity, yeah. isn't it? I, I had a surreal experience with the Holy Spirit that night, spoke in tongues, all that kind of stuff. Phone Tash the next day said, I'm not divorcing you. This is not an option. We'll make this work. And we went through six months of marriage counseling, met my psychologist, and he said to me, Marius, you can't read and write properly. The Bible is not going to do anything for you because I read three lines and I'm like, what do I read five seconds back? And he said, ask God to reveal himself to you, what he wants for your life, where do you want to go, all these kind of things. And then it started. I started flushing with dreams, 
visions, where my life's going, what do I need to do? And that's where I, I wrote the book. God said, Morris, you are going to talk on stages with thousands of people. People are going to stand up because they don't want to hear your story. It's too hard. It's too direct. They're going to stand up and leave, and these rooms will just start filling and filling and filling. People will put their ears on the windows because they just want to hear your voice. And that's how it all started. One first thing was you had to get rid of alcohol. Then second thing was fix the brain because my brain. We haven't just fucked that up by giving you beer, have we? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, that's something. Now <laughs> I started drinking again about four years ago. I drink wine. I have a beer. I'm in control of alcohol now. It doesn't control me. Here in your brother. Yeah, that's that's who I am now. We call it the third beer. Yeah. And and with that, it comes the first one, you psh, bang it back. Yeah. The second one, you sort of mm. half bang it back, but the mm. third one, you can just psh. Done. Yeah. I enjoy wine now. You're getting old. Get a, yeah, correct. <laughs> I'm an old wine. <laughs> um, so the first thing. Just get better with age, mate. Just oh, get better with age. The second thing was to fix the brain because mm. all the trauma, all the head knocks, abuse, all these signals that the brain got out of so many years was messed up. So we had to rewire this. First step was psychologist, clinical psychologist. We had to fix you with medication. I was seven years on antidepressants. But through exercise, I became a, a sports scientist, nutritionist. I had two bouts of tumors in my body, testicular and pancreatic tumors. So I had to fight that as well. I Got to a stage 2010, 11, first time ever I wanted to commit suicide because I just couldn't. It's like, God, why are you doing this to me? First time, mate. This is the first time I think we're going to have to do number two. Mm. I feel like uh, we've just scratched the surface with this podcast. <laughs> so, do you feel okay. that? Yeah. I feel like we haven't really covered a lot. And Will you we, come we, back we, and, and oh, join we, us again? 100%. We crack it up Love for number it. two because then we, we can. We can Go, deep, go deeper into what the story. I'd really like, and, and it's really interesting because all these patterns and all this stuff, and I know I know my view on Christianity and God and all that sort of stuff, but at the same time... Well, I'm, I'm not sure you do. Oh, <laughs> fuck, We've sorry. had this conversation. He's a closet. Yeah. So no, a closet. <laughs> I am that. Come on. <laughs> anyway, come on. However, Dana, give me a hug. What's <laughs> going on? <laughs> however, <laughs> I, find, I find it really interesting that... I'm sitting opposite this massive unit, these big blokes and rugby player, he's this, he's that. Now he's got all this shit under control. His his ex-missus is now his best mate. What about the kids? How are the kids? eh? How fucking good are kids? The thing with me is I've become very soft and kind and gentle. Tash and myself, we were dating one day. She says, oh, you know, once we're married, we'll have kids. I was like, kids? I don't want children. Kids represent fucking pain to me. Mm-hmm. She said, don't you want to I said, no, stop the car. She said, get out. We broke up for three months while we're still dating. I went back to my family and they're all sitting, Marius, you'll be an exceptional father. You'll be an amazing dad. That's my biggest attribute today. I'm an exceptional dad. So I'm See, very conscious. That. I'm it's very you're aware. an exceptional dad. Exceptional dad. I am. I'm an exceptional dad now. I was an asshole for a I long s- time. I stuff up, but you know mm. what? But that's not a bad thing. God forgives me my sins and he doesn't carry judgment. Josh and Luke, if daddy makes a mistake, I'm sorry. Yeah. We cannot carry that judgment towards each other. Okay, cool. I believe 80% of parenting, parenting or being a father is just showing up. Mm. <laughs> That's, I, I tell this story about how I was there, because I'm addicted to my mobile phone. I do a mm. lot of business, do all that mm. sort of stuff. Mm. And my little fella said, Dad, can I tell you this? Can I show you that? And it's like, mate, in a minute. I said, like, nah, fuck, stop. You're an idiot. Put your phone down. Mm. Yeah, buddy, what are we looking at? Mm. 
Look at the picture I did. Oh, what's that? That's fucking awesome. Eye contact. And they sit there. Yeah. Mate, that day is year. Yeah. Like me, given three minutes out of my day yeah. for something I should be given a lot more time with. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. What I want to do, though, mate, can we bring you back and we have a chat Anytime. further? I want to chat about all the other shit. I want to chat about the black dog. Yeah. Massive, uh, massive subject, obviously, yeah. that affects a lot of people. Yeah? And at the same time is I'm going to read your book before we catch up so yeah. then I can actually say, hey, read the book. Yeah. I might skim through it, but that's my reading anyway. That's quick. It's a quick read. <laughs> but, mate, I really so much appreciate you thank coming you. in. Thanks so um, much The last thing we Beautiful always – honesty, mate. I want to thank, thank you for your fuck, truth. I can't wait for round two. Round two is going to be awesome. Round two, let's muscle up. I um, What we always do at the end of the podcast, mate, we have a quick look at the beer. We go through and go, well, great Northern, mate. Here's to the people in Townsville at the moment. They're going through a tough time yeah. up in Northern Queensland. We do wish them all the best. Um, we what I was in Townsville for the last cyclone. Oh, we, yeah. we lost power for three for four days. Wow! And so I'm I'm, I'm with the uh, with the crowd up there. I've got a few people that have been moved out of the houses, but yep. something amazing happens when you get flooded out. Lights stop working. People fire up the barbecues. Mm. Pregnancies go through the roof. <laughs> barbecues <laughs> come out. Yeah, the, kid, the kids have a good time. Yeah. The whole the whole city stops. So I know there's a lot of trauma, a lot of drama up there, but people are getting in and helping their neighbours and, and being bloody good people right now up in Townsville. So right. to the Great Northern, that's great where Northern. I am. I'm drinking with you. Great Northern Australia. Cheers, everyone Cheers. up there. Cheers. Eh? Cheers. Cheers, boys. Thanks again for coming in, buddy. Thank you. Mate, we do have a quick rating out of 10. I'm going Great Northern at 8. It's good, good, solid beer. Yeah, I'm an 8.5. I like it. I like what about eight, yourself, yeah. bud? Uh, I need a sponsor for my rugby club, so I'm going to give it a 9.8. 9.8? Yeah. <laughs> Through the roof. Through the roof. Through the roof. I enjoy Excellent. It. I Marius, enjoy it. we look forward to round two. Thank you. And uh, let's make that happen soon. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye. See you, brother.